I'm going to take you back with me to the mid-1980s in Central Texas where I grew up. This was the 80s, so think really big hair. Think that the songs were still happy because we weren't jaded yet. We still thought that our kids and our grandkids would live better off than we did. You know, we were politically just thriving because we were winning the Cold War, and we thought that everything was possible. And in the midst of all of this, it was the first Top Gun movie that came out, right? And Tom Cruise looks exactly the same in both movies, but that's a different message. So here we are in the mid-80s in Central Texas in my hometown when a brand new restaurant comes to the greater metropolitan area of Waco, Texas. But this wasn't just a restaurant. This was an entirely new way of thinking. This was a new revelation. This was a new way of relating with food. This restaurant is known as the Olive Garden. <laughs> Unlimited soup. Unlimited salad, which at 13 I really didn't care about. But unlimited breadsticks, now you're talking. And most importantly for me, this was the first restaurant that I had ever been to that had unlimited refills on Coca-Cola. You didn't have to ask. You just got towards the end of your drink and another one magically appeared. Over and over again. This is when I turned to my belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. <laughs> no, this was a, a revelation for me. I remember the first time that I went, I think I drank like seven sodas. And this is not a message about being overserved with Coca-Cola at 13 years old, but I couldn't understand why my stomach hurt for the rest of the day. But what was interesting in a playful way is that this is a playful metaphor of a very significant and serious image from the Bible. And it comes to us from one of the most beloved prayers and familiar passages of the Bible. And it's this image, my cup overflows. That there really is a place, there really is a reality and the possibility of living in such a way is that your cup is continually filled to overflowing. And that this type of imagery is exactly the way that we have an invitation that is not just a pretty image from a prayer, we can actually live in this reality, that it's possible. Psalm 23 is not just a prayer. It is the key invitation for helping us to understand what living in God's kingdom might be like. And I know this is familiar to you. We're going to say it together. I know many of us memorize this in the King James. We are going to say this in the NIV. Let's recite this prayer together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's begin this new year by just asking you a simple question. How are you? 
You get asked this question a lot, right? Every day, at work, school, out and about, how are you? Somebody sees you, how are you? And most of the time when we respond to this, we give answers like, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm busy. I don't know how you tend to answer that question, but those are the kinds of things that we tend to say. And the way that we tend to base on how we're doing tends to be on the things that are happening to us. How are we is based on the weather or on whether or not we are doing better at work this year than we are last year, whether or not our family is doing better. It could be all kinds of different circumstantial, situational reasons by how we answer the question of how we're doing. But what if somebody stopped you and didn't just say, how are you? What if they stopped you, paused, listened to what you said to begin with, and then said, no, how are you? And they waited for you to take this to a deeper level. What if you are not the sum total of the things that happen to you, the forces of evil and good and whether or not the economy is going well or the economy is going poorly? What, what if there's another way to answer that very question? What if you have an inner life, an inner reality, that there is at the person, at the core of who you are, something of such substance that that is you and not just your circumstances or your environment? This is the first of many Dallas Willard quotes that you are going to be subjected to this year. And here's the first one. God cares far more about what is happening in you than in what is happening to you. That there is a part of your life that is referred to as a soul, that you have an inner part of your life that is the most significant thing about you. And most of the time, we don't give that part of our life kind of a whole lot of airtime. Because what we tend to do is spend the vast amount of our evaluation and our energy and our planning and our deployment of what we do every single day in managing our situations and our circumstances. In other words, we try to figure out how we can have a better vacation or we can have a better home or a better car or a better family or a better life, a better income. Whatever it is, we're constantly planning, working, educating, deploying information in order to try to make that situation better. And it's not that we shouldn't care about our environment and our circumstances. The problem is, is that we have become circumstance-obsessed situationally fixated. And after a while, we focus on these things so much, we forget that there is something deeper and more significant about you and me than actually what happens to us. There's what's inside of us. The good news of the gospel that Jesus came to preach, and he preached this over and over again, is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's near, it's available to you and to me. In other words, heaven and the reality of God's presence is not the kind of thing that you have to wait for until you die, that heaven is available to you in your life, inside you, right now. And that you can participate in your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength in the very presence of God as you sit where you are. 
And the invitation that we get from Psalm 23 is, yeah, there's going to be good times and there's going to be dark times, but there's a different way of living. You and I can live out of the overflow of a life with God. And so I'm going to throw a bunch of information at you this morning, such to the point where I didn't want you to have to take such copious notes in your worship packet. And for those of you who are online, this bulletin is available online on our website. If you're watching it on the peachtreechurch.com website, there is an outline of what we're going to see in Psalm 23. Because what we discover in Psalm 23 is that there's three different settings or situations in it. There's the green pasture moments, the dark valley moments, and being at home. And the green pasture moments are those moments that are good times. And the dark valley moments are those hard times. And home is the ultimate reality of us not just being in any home. It's not at our home. It's getting to be at the house of the Lord. And yes, this applies to heaven and eternity that is fulfillment of those promises and death, but that is the point is, is that God comes to dwell with us now. That home is available to us here. And that that can be our ultimate reality. So the invitation of the image of you, that your cup can overflow or runneth over is possible. And it's possible in all these different settings. Let me see if I can explain. First, your cup overflows in good times. And what we pray in that moment is that the Lord is my, emphasis on personal here, shepherd. And what I'm labeling this as is, and I understand that this term is not in vogue today, personal obedience. But the point of a shepherd is to use the voice in order to summon and call and guide and lead the sheep. And the point of the sheep is to obey the voice of the shepherd. Even the first few lines of this beloved prayer really rub against kind of the way that we want to think of ourselves today as kind of individual autonomous things. The point is that I'm trying to make is is that you're going to listen to a voice. You're going to obey someone or something. And the question is, is the voice that you're obeying a good shepherd or is it not? And the way that we get to see this, I mean, we get to see this even with the strong language of he makes me lie down in green pastures, that sometimes God has to give us a command to get us to do something. And so God is leading and guiding, and the question is, are we following? How do you know if you were doing this, if you were living in personal obedience to the good shepherd? There is a test, according to Psalm 23, and it is the desire test or the longing test. There is a way to live your life where you could say with all integrity, I don't lack anything. If you want to understand whether or not you're living in personal obedience to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ... Pay attention to your longings, your desires, because your longings and your desires give you the greatest clue as to how you're doing. And so at the beginning of this year, one of the things that you might put in your journal is just to be able to say, what do I feel like I lack? And just to be honest about that as you write that down. Another way that you might think about it is that you and I are not only invited to have a life that is overflowing in good times, in green pasture moments, but even in those dark valley moments or hard time moments. 
And the point that we get to see is because we will all have those moments to some degree or another where we have to walk through that shadow of darkness. In those moments, what we get to experience is this. You, meaning God, are with me. This is literally the core center phrase of this prayer. Just as in the first part we talked about it being personal, the Lord is my shepherd, personal obedience. You are with me is personal presence. Do you live your life every single day in such a way, not just when you come to church, not just when you pause to pray, maybe in a morning devotional or something, do you live with a regular, ongoing sense of the presence of the living God that is with you at every moment of your life, but particularly in those dark valley moments? And the greatest indication of whether or not we are living and abiding in that presence on an ongoing basis, just in the same way as there's a desire test to tell us how our obedience is, this is the fear test. And so you could begin 2024 with a part of your evaluation of asking you the question, how are you doing, by sitting down and saying, what kind of worries do I have? What kind of anxieties do I bring? What are my fears? Because our fears and our anxieties are the clearest indication of the extent to which we live in the personal presence of the living God and the Good Shepherd. And so there's hard times and there's good times, but there's also, for all time, ultimate reality here. That the first scene is a pastoral moment, the second scene is a dark moment, and then the third scene in Psalm 23 is this house of the Lord. And in the midst of the house of the Lord, there is this incredible image that takes a little bit of explanation. It says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, in Middle Eastern cultures, they were very high on hospitality. And in these ancient Middle Eastern societies, one of the things that was probably the most precious and expensive item that you had in your home was a small reserve of an aromatic oil. And if you had a treasured guest, if you had somebody that you really wanted to honor, if you had somebody that you really wanted to bless, when you invited that treasured guest over into your presence, you would take some of that aromatic oil and you would pour it and you would place your hands on the person's head as a symbol of the acceptance and the extravagance of your welcome of that person. You anoint my head with oil. This image is really like the three images tied together and what they refer to in poetry is Hebrew parallelism. They are three things that are attempting to describe the same reality from three slightly different images. So the image of a cup that is overflowing, the image of being the treasured guest of, of a head that is being anointing, but then there's the other dimension of this image. It says, you prepare a table before me in what? In the presence of my enemies. Do you like that part of the prayer? That you're going to get to God's house and there's going to be a table. Maybe your imagination, you see this as, yeah, you got a table and you got that table and you're getting to eat a big feast and they, your enemies have to sit there and watch you eat it. But that's not what it means. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
tells us that there is a time, there is a place, there is a reality where acceptance, your acceptance of God's grace as well as your acceptance of other people in grace is so acute that there is a place and a table where everything is going to get reconciled. Everything is going to be okay. And you will be able to gather at a table even with your adversaries. When you privilege me with your hard stories of the brokenness and the difficulty that you have, in the privacy of those stories, if, you, if I was to swim upstream for most of those things, the root cause of most of those things is a lack of the acceptance of the grace of God for yourself and for other people. And King David is saying, there's going to come a time where we're going to sit at a table and we're all going to be together because of the grace of God. There's a test for this as well. If you want to think about this year, about how you're doing, ask this question. What follows behind you? King David says, surely God's goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Every single day, goodness and love always following. This is what the fruit test might be. Jesus says, you will know that they are my disciples, my students, because of their fruit. The evidence of the way that they're living your life. When you enter into a room, what comes with you? When you enter into your home, does the anxiety go up or does the anxiety go down? When you enter into your workplace, does the stress go up or does the stress go down? Does the anger go up? Does the anger go down? What is it that you bring with you as you enter into all of the different places and the environments in which you go? When you go to a coffee shop, do you bring with you in your wake the very goodness and love of God that follow close behind you? That I, I had a coffee this week with my best friend from junior high and from high school. And we laughed about a time, I said it was about five years ago that I was in a place of public and I smelled a cologne that was the very same cologne that his dad used to wear like 35 years ago. They could smell it. And it took me all the way back to that moment. You and I have an aroma, the aroma of Christ. Do people experience that in your wake? And I love the brilliance of David as he talks about pairing these two things of goodness and love together. Because if you have goodness without love or mercy, you get legalism, you get religion. Just trying to be good, good, good without any mercy. If you have love and mercy without goodness, you get permissiveness or license and you get irreligion. And you can fall off of the train tracks on either side. So here's the invitation. The invitation that I want you to hear from me at the beginning of this year is that it is possible to live this way. I'm not setting a standard up here that's too high or too far away. I'm letting you know that it is actually going to be possible for you to live more and more out of the overflow of a life with God. I told you early on that I was going to subject you to a lot of Dallas Willard quotes this year. What I didn't tell you was that today we're actually going to get to see Dallas Willard on a video.
This is about two months before Dallas passed away. He was diagnosed with an incurable form of pancreatic cancer. And while he could, he did a series of interviews in order for people to be able to ask him questions. And here is what he said. But let's talk about joy. Why do you say that joy is a sense of pervasive well-being? Well, because it's consistent with terrible circumstances. One of my favorite passages on this is Paul, when he's describing himself in, in 2 Corinthians, one of the contrasts he uses, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Joy is consistent with sorrow because it is a realization of what's really going on in the world at large under God. It's joy. <coughs> and um, uh, you know, as uh, I think it is true, that joy is one of the hardest things we have associated with God. It's very difficult to think of God as joyous because he got so many things to worry about. You know? But if you don't have a joyous God, you'd better head for cover. Really, you know. It's a joyous God that fills the universe. But what's interesting about the definition to me is I'll think of joy often in something else, a sunset, a child, or something like that. But you tie it to a pervasive sense of well-being that right. even in a difficult situation, uh, joy is connected to that sense that I am okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that everything is okay. Is that what pervasive? Is that what you mean that's by pervasive? That's what I mean. I, that's, uh, that's, that's sort of... Sorry, I'm a little slow. So. <laughs> no, 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 that's an important point, John. No, but they um, were laughing at me. Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's the ultimate word about God and His world. Creation was an act of joy. Say that again. Creation was an act of joy, of delight in the goodness of what was done. What Jesus teaches us is that within his presence and with his word, we begin to live in heaven now. And that's why he says, those who keep my word will never experience death as human beings understand it, the continuity of life through what we view as death from this point of view, because we do see people die, their bodies stop working. But they continue to exist as the people they are in the presence of God. And I like to say, I think it's true. I think many people will not realize they've died until later. And then they will recognize that something is different. And um, I, I love that line from John Henry Newman's old song, Lead Kindly Light, where he says, And with the morning, or with the morn, those angel faces smile, 
that I have loved long since and lost a while. See, that, that's the continuity. And really, that's what it's talking about, is the continuity of life lived now in the action and presence of God with His people. You can begin a life now that continues into eternity. I'll have a whole lot to say to you in the coming weeks about how that might be possible. But for right now, before I talk about the how, we just need to sit in the invitation. How are you doing? Are you living the kind of life that deep down you really want and that you believe is available to you when you read all of the promises of God and his word? How are your desires and your fears and the evidence of the fruit of your life? I just want you to sit in that invitation. The overflowing life is possible. And so let us pray. Eternal God and our loving Father and our Good Shepherd, you tell us that there is the possibility of a cup that never runs out. And so I pray right now that you would fill our cup. That you would fill our cup not with good weather and better work and better news headlines or economic forecasts, but fill our cup from the inside out. To take us beyond our situation and our circumstances. Forgive us for being so obsessed with better jobs, better friends, better vacations, and help us to hear that the kingdom of heaven truly is at hand. And so fill our cup, even in the midst of our good times, with our obedience to you. Help us to walk on the right paths. Make our desires your desire. God, for the person who needs to have their cup filled in the dark valley, will you reassure them that you're with them right now? That your presence is never far off? And that while it may seem unfathomable, we really have nothing to worry about? Because you're right here. Fill our cup, O oh God. Fill our cup to the point where we understand truly that we are your treasured guest. Fill our cup to the point where we understand that you have accepted us without condition. Fill our cup to help us to know that even at table, everything will be reconciled. Will you pour into me, Holy Spirit, in such a way that goodness and love walk into the room with me when I go in? For my family, for my coworkers, for my neighborhood, 
And so God, will you make me more obedient, more present, and more accepting? And we use this table as a little taste of taking something inside us that is greater than we could possibly imagine. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.